Good morning, everyone. <laughs> Are you awake now? <laughs> Great to see you. Hey, happy fall. We made it. We should get a trophy for this. I mean, winter was brutal. Spring was crazy, and it was the wettest, one of the wettest summers on record. And you made it to fall. You're here. Curious. Curious, who here would say fall is their favorite season? My goodness, that's like half. Total curiosity, this is nothing to do with what we're talking about today. Who would say fall is their least favorite season? Okay, me and the O'Briens. We need some therapy to work through our fall issues. All right, so thank you for coming. Today we begin a four-weeker on marriage and before I lose all of you, let me explain. Okay, for you frustrated, married people, ready to tune me out, this is not going to be a group therapy session. <laughs> Someone's disappointed. Mark, you're not even married. What's your problem? <laughs> this is not going to be a group counseling session. It's not at all. See, God is the one who invented this thing called marriage, and so we're going to be looking at his manual for how to do it because most of us have no idea. Um, now, also, let me speak to those of you who are single. And before you tune me out, let me say that this series is for you, too. And here's why. Someday, you'll be married. Now, before you laugh at me, here's what I mean. I'm not saying you'll find that perfect person and have that great wedding of your dreams or whatever the case may be and walk off into the sunset. But here's what I do mean. If you're a Jesus follower, that perfect person has already found you. And they'll one day invite you to a wedding, your wedding, in another dimension, and you will walk off into the sunset. So there's something about marriage when, when we say in light of eternity, subtitles are important, and this means a lot. There's something about marriage that's a picture, a shadow of something better that's to come. And hopefully someday you get to experience that something better. And so we, we learn more about this so we can maybe understand a little bit more about that. And so that's our hope and desire. This series is very loosely um, inspired by or, or kind of based on Francis and Lisa Chan's You and Me Forever book. Really good read. Uh, we have copies available at, at all our campuses this morning. And uh, there's study guides that go with it if you're in a group and you're going to do discussion. Every week in our Connect Group guides, we're going to put a link into a video done by them that's on Right Now Media. So you can watch that or you can watch that in your group and discuss that in your Connect Group. But really our desire is to help us learn more about this so we understand more about this. And really, no matter your status this morning, if you're single, married, remarried, divorced, widowed, or something else that I've missed, our goal is to equip you in this series for now and to excite you for someday. To equip you for now and to excite you for someday. So before we dive into God's user manual, I want to first just consider the world's perspective on marriage. And there's really a bunch of different ways that the world looks at marriage. One of the more common ways is, at this point, marriage is viewed as something that's kind of unnecessary. I mean, why go through all the hassle? Why not just 
live together, right? Why not just go, go there? And, and so marriage is kind of seen as this unnecessary thing, uh, maybe even something that's kind of old-fashioned, right? Maybe that was for previous generations. We just don't do it that way anymore. We found better ways to do relationships and intimacy and commitment than this thing called marriage that really was kind of a failure anyway, and we found better ways to do it. Uh, other people, their view of, of marriage is it's just a negative view, and, and it might be because their parents had a rough marriage, or their parents divorced, or their parents, they feel like, should have divorced. And so they, they look at marriage, and they're like, Pooh, don't give me any of that. Like, whatever that is, I'll take something different. I don't want that. I have a, I, I've seen, I've experienced negative marriage. The other maybe common view, especially in media, is this view of marriage as a ball and a chain. And if you watch any comedy, if you see any uh, sketches, you know that marriage gets really lampooned in media. It gets kind of picked on or mocked or teased. And, and it's kind of this idea that when you marry someone, you're stuck, right? Like a ball in a chain. You, you, you go through the rest of your life stuck with someone that you might fall out of love with, that you might get to a point and you no longer like them, and now you're, you're joined together, you're stuck together, and it's this ball and chain concept. The, the other view of marriage is that it's just not very practical anymore. Especially those of you who are, um, you, you have a lot of economic sense. You realize that there can be uh, tax issues with being married. There can be an economic burden. Some people don't do it just because of that alone. There are inheritance challenges, especially if you're to get married later in life. And, and there's always, especially for those who have some wealth, there's prenuptial issues and, and all of that. And so it's just viewed as something that's unnecessary or complicated, and maybe even something that's unaffordable. Another view, and there's many more, but another view is that marriage is just kind of impossible. The only great, healthy marriages that are filled with romance are in Disney movies. And we all know those aren't true. Sorry, kids. Okay, maybe they are. But the idea of marriage being this lifelong romantic ideal is really the stuff of fairy tales. And so what's happened in our culture is our culture now is to the point where they look at marriage and they don't see something beautiful. Often they don't even see something good. They see something negative. And our world and our culture is disillusioned about marriage. And what happens is we live our lives in the world, and it's easy for us as people of faith to be similarly disillusioned about marriage. And so what we have to, to pause and consider is, wait a minute, should we be throwing the baby out with the bathwater? Should we be throwing marriage out just because we've messed marriage up? And, and some, some ways to think about this is, an institution doesn't get invalidated because of abuse. Just because many families are dysfunctional doesn't mean the family is a bad institution. Just be because many churches are messed up, I get an amen? 
doesn't mean the church is a bad institution. Just because many governments are corrupt, again, amen, doesn't mean government is a bad institution. We need marriage, family, church, and government. This is all part of God's creative order, and it's all part of his creative design. Do you know who invented marriage? God. You know who officiated the first wedding? God. You know who paired up the first couple? God. After he created the very first man and woman, he did e-God, e-harmony, Christian mingle, whatever. He said, hey, there's two. He did their wedding ceremony. This is his idea. And so just because we've made a mess of it doesn't mean marriage is bad or negative or invalidated. It just means we might have messed it up along the way. And so we want to go back to God's manual and say, okay, God, if this is your idea, what is it? How do we do it better? How do we encourage the people around us to do it better? How do we, how do, we do it in a way that we understand the why behind it? How do we do earthly marriage in a way where I'm looking forward to eternity and I'm like, oh, I get it. This marriage to this person down here is a picture of something better. And if I keep expecting this marriage down here to give me that something better, I'll be forever frustrated. But if I realize it's just a shadow of something better to come, oh, I, I get it, God. And I can do this differently down here because of what's to come next. So with that said, if you would take your copy of the Bible, if you have one with you, and turn to Ephesians 5. We're going to go to the clearest teaching on marriage in all of the Bible. And if you want to use the chair Bible, go ahead and turn to page 945. If you want to, if you want a Bible, take it home with you. It's our gift to you. If you're using an electronic Bible, I'm going, to, I'm going to read out of NLT, so you can just kind of tap NLT so you can follow word for word if you'd like. We're going to read in Ephesians 5, and as you're turning there, welcome to everyone joining us online. We're really glad you're here virtually with us as we study God's Word today. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 22. Here we go. For wives, this means, what's the next word? Everyone's favorite word. Submit to your husbands as to the Lord. I've met some husbands that this is the only verse in the Bible they've memorized. <laughs> and I've, I've experienced and seen some husbands that use this verse to force their wives into submission. And my challenge, if that's you guys, is have you read the context? Right? Have you read what's around it? You can't just take an isolated sentence and say, okay, this is what everyone else must do. Let's read the context. You've got to go back of a sentence to see the context. In, in my Bible, the heading for this section is spirit-guided relationships, wives and husbands. And verse 21 says, and further, submit to... What's it say? <laughs> to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
Okay, some of you guys are like, wait a minute, I've never seen that. But it's in this marriage passage. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So here's kind of the idea. If you respect Jesus, if you reverence Jesus, if you hold Jesus up in high esteem, you are going to submit to your spouse. Great marriages have figured out mutual submission. Now, maybe that's not a phrase you've heard before, but it's a biblical idea. Mutual submission. Submitting to one another. That's God's idea. It's God's design. So marriage is about two people giving up their rights and their preferences and opinions. Listen, does anybody else have some preferences like me? Does anyone else have opinions? Are you opinionated? Does anyone else have things that you believe really strongly and nobody's going to sway you? I mean, come on, we all do. And marriage is this really weird dance with another person who has different opinions and preferences than me. And somehow we're supposed to do this mutual submission concept and idea with each other, which is just not natural. It's not easy. And it's not normal. But that's what marriage is. How do I learn to live with another person and to be unselfish about it? One of the first challenges that a married couple usually face is, will you do your toothpaste different? I'm annoyed at how messy your toothpaste tube is, right? And how many, how many new spouses have tried to force the other person to roll it up from the bottom or push it up from the bottom the way they do? And there's years of fighting over toothpaste. Now, what's the solution to that? Get your own tube. It's not a spiritual solution. But there's so many tube of toothpaste problems that we run into in marriage where it's like, wait a minute, it's my selfishness versus your selfishness. And if I revere Jesus, if I respect Jesus, I'm going to submit to you and you're going to submit to me. Somehow we're going to do this mutual submission thing. And, and I don't really know how it works. And ultimately, for two people to do that, for two people to walk together in mutual submission, there's still got to be a leader and that's where 2022 and following comes in. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Verse 23, for a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. So according to God's biblical design, who are to be the leaders in the marriage? I heard a lot of wives say husbands. Let me hear some male voices. Who's to be the leader in the marriage, guys? We are. The guys are. The husbands are. Now, now I want you to notice, though, where it says the head, the Greek word does not say dictator. <laughs> I heard some amens. And, and, and I want wives to know that just because he's the head, I've heard some wives say, well, he may be the head, but I'm the neck. And the neck turns the head. Ooh. But as much as we laugh, what is going on? It's a power struggle. 
it's, it's guys desiring to be dictators. It's, it's wives desiring to usurp that authority and that leadership. And it's this power struggle. It was promised to us in the Garden of Eden there would be this prop, power struggle. It was part of the curse. And God says, no, this is part of my creative order. It's part of my creative design. I want you to mutually submit to each other, but I do want the husbands to take the lead. I want the husbands to take the lead in the home. Now, you may wonder, what does that mean to take the lead? Well, who do we look to as the ultimate example of leadership? Jesus. How did Jesus lead? Everyone assumed that by him being the leader of this new movement, the church, it meant that he would have all the perks, and he would have all the power, and he would have all of the, I don't know, the, 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 the perks that go along with leadership. And Jesus instead, when he was in a room with the people who were supposed to serve him, what did he do? He got the apron, the towel, he got the water basin, he knelt down and washed their feet. And he said, this is the way that leadership is supposed to look. Those who, who are leaders are meant to stoop the, lewis, the lowest and do the things that are most undesirable. Guys, we are meant to help change the poopy diapers. I thought I'd get some amens from some moms there. Guys, we're supposed to help to stoop the lowest and do the most undesirable things in the home. That's what leadership looks like. So don't think, don't go on this power trip as a guy and say, okay, I'm the man and we're going to have a biblical marriage, so I'm the head. I think you got it wrong. You are the head, which means you serve the most. You do the most undesirable things. That's God's leadership model. And that's exactly why he says a husband's the head of his wife as Christ. He immediately goes to Christ as the head of the church. He's the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. So, so again, he's, he's saying one more sentence to, to, to wives, the same way that a church is supposed to submit to the leadership of Jesus. We talk about this all the time. Who at Berean is our lead pastor? Jesus Christ. Don't get that one wrong. Jesus Christ is our lead pastor. He is the one that we follow. Whose church is Berean? This is Jesus' church. He owns this church. He's our leader. And we submit to his leadership. All of us submit to his leadership. In the same way in the home, husbands are meant to be the leadership. And we are to submit to his leadership. And this is a really politically correct message, isn't it? And this is a really politically correct passage, isn't it? And if I tried to give this in Hollywood, I would be run out on a rail or in a lot of other places or churches. So here's the thing, though. Just because this is politically incorrect doesn't mean it's incorrect. Do you think the world has marriage figured out? They've made a mess. They've made a mess of marriage because they say, well, we have a better way to do it. We're enlightened. We're progressed. We have a better way to do it. And they do it, and they're like, oh, this doesn't work. Let's get rid of this stupid thing called marriage. God's like, it doesn't work because you're not doing it right. I've given you the instructions. I've given you the model. I've given you the example. It works, and it works really well. But you've got to do it my way. And sometimes God's way, can I just be really blunt? It's politically incorrect. And I think we've got to be so... I think we've got to be less careful about the world accepting God's word 
and accepting God's design, and we just gotta start being bold and saying, okay, this is what God says. I wanna do it. I'm not gonna force it on you, but, but I'm gonna do it because I respect Jesus, and I wanna do it his way. He invented this thing. What I find interesting is statisticians, when they do polls and surveys, you know what they find when it comes to surveys on economic stability, on emotional and physical and sexual intimacy, do you know who they find have some of the highest levels of all of those things? Married couples. Married couples are more economically secure. Married couples have more reported levels, higher levels of satisfaction, even when it comes to physical intimacy. And you say, well, that doesn't seem to fit. Well, what if God actually is onto something? What if God's actually onto something that an exclusive relationship with one other person is actually the best way to model your home and your life? What if it works? Wouldn't that be revolutionary? Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't we want to experience that? Wouldn't we want that not just for our families, but for our communities and our nation? Would anybody else? I would. And so let's learn a little bit more about it. Now, he's going to go directly and talk to the wives here, or to the husbands here, starting in verse 25. So here we go. For husbands, this means love your wives. Now, pause there, because a lot of <laughs> words need to be defined. When you say love your wives, like, I can do that. I can love my woman. Right? It's not a macho thing. It's not a sexual thing. It's something a lot better. It's something a lot more powerful. It's something that every wife longs for. And here's what he says. For husbands, this means love your wives just as, what's the, what's the, what's the illustration? As Christ loved the church. Now think about this for a moment. How did Jesus Christ love the church? Yeah, and it's exactly what it says next. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean. He washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, Husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. Some of you guys can admit, okay, yeah, I, I do love myself. I do love my body. I take care of my body, right? Other guys are like, I don't think I love my body. Well, he's going to explain what this means. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it. Okay, there you go. There's that idea of loving yourself. If you, if you feed yourself or make sure that someone else feeds you. If you care for yourself, it's showing that you have a self-love, for just an instinctive love and concern and care for your own body. There's nothing innately wrong with that. But what God's saying is when you're joined together with someone else in marriage, they are now an extension of your body. You are one, and so you are to love them as if they were you, which means you are to care for them. And if you neglect them, it would be like you skipping food today. You would be neglecting yourself. 
No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother. That's the first part of marriage. That's why some marriages don't succeed, is because the guy or the gal, they don't leave mom and dad. That's the first step. You've got to leave mom and dad and be joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. And then there's this phrase that, boy, we're going to get to unpack this the next few weeks, and it's cool. It says, this is a great what? Mystery. Now, some of you look at your spouse, and you say, yes, they are. <laughs> they are a mystery. Or your boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, and you're like, whew, they're a mystery. That's not what he's talking about here. He's saying, this is a great mystery. The mystery he's talking about is two people somehow becoming one. This idea of leaving mom and dad and starting a new unit, a new family. One of the things often with a, with a new couple is they struggle with, well, where do we celebrate holidays? And, and, and what about my desire to be with my family, your desire to be with your family? And, and what they just don't understand early on is, wait a minute, they're no longer my family we're a family, and they're my extended family now, and that changes on the wedding day, and that's a hard shift mentally, and it's this mystery, this new thing that they've created, it's now a new family, it's, it's a new thing, and it's two people that are one, it's this marriage, and this is a mystery, and he goes on by saying this is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. When you read this text, there's probably some questions that come to your mind. And we'll have fun kind of tackling some of those questions the next few weeks. But there's two questions that are more application questions that I have to ask myself because of what this says. Here's the first one. When I look at the way I treat my spouse, when I look at the way I treat Annie, do I see the way Jesus treats me? Those of you who are married, let me ask you, when you look at the way you treat your wife, your husband, do you see the way Jesus treats you? Let me word it in a way that would apply to everyone this morning. When you look at the way you treat others, whether it's a significant other or just the people around you, do you see the way Jesus treats you? Because what's ironic is this passage we just read on marriage has more of a description of Jesus than it does of marriage. And that's very intentional. And, and when I began looking at, wow, look at the way that Jesus has treated me. I made a list from this passage we've just read. Jesus leads me. Jesus loves me. Jesus unselfishly sacrifices himself for me. Jesus wants the best for me. Jesus provides for me. Jesus cares for me. Jesus is singularly focused on me. He's unified with me. You see, marriage isn't just about romance and fairy tales. Marriage is a mission to be more like Jesus. If you leave with one thing this morning, 
I'd love you to leave just with this one statement and just maybe chew on it. Marriage is a mission to be more like Jesus. Let me say to those of you who are single, if you don't want to be more like Jesus, don't get married. Because it will be this conflict and challenge of how do I do this thing that's very unnatural? How do I take another person who's as selfish as I am and live together? It will force you to wrestle with this concept. Marriage, human marriage, earthly marriage, is not as much this romantic fairy tale as it is a mission. And your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to be more like Jesus. I mean, it's really not more complex than that. But although it's simple, it's really hard. And I want you to notice what Paul boils it down to at the end of this passage, verse 33. He says, in summary, so again I say, he's going to summarize all of it, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. You know, the number one complaint that wives express about their husbands is they say, I feel unloved. Do you know the number one complaint that guys express about their wives? I feel disrespected. And so what he's saying here is, okay, if you want to boil it all down, love your wife like Jesus loves you and respect your husband as Jesus respects you. So guys, does your wife, those of you who are married, does your wife know that you love her unconditionally? One wife expressed, man, my husband just won't tell me he loves me. And the guy's like, I don't get it. I told her on our wedding day. How many times do I need to repeat myself? Right? Do you care and invest in your wife with the same passion and intensity that you invest in your hobbies, your ball team, your work, your friendships? Now, if you feel a little uncomfortable, it's probably because I think all of us struggle with that. It's easy to take for granted the person God's gave us, the wife God has given us husbands. And so let me ask you, does she get your primary attention or does she get your leftover attention? Do your conversations primarily consist of you nodding and saying, uh-huh? Does she have your focus or have you stopped dating her? Because if so, if other things have your primary attention, if she gets your leftovers, then you stop treating her the way that Jesus treats her. Now let me say that differently. You've stopped treating her the way Jesus treats you. Guys, have you ever gone to Jesus to ask him for something to talk to him? And Jesus is like, yeah, hold on, hold on. You talk too much, you're annoying me. Do you imagine? I mean, Jesus has never said that to me. Jesus has never walked away from a conversation with me. He has never slammed the door on me. How can I treat my wife any less than Jesus every day treats me? Wives, do you respect your husbands? 
with the same level of respect that Jesus respects you. And I want you to think about that for a moment. Jesus respects you. You know he does. He died for you. He listens to you. He cares for you. He loves you. He provides for you. He leads you. Do you respect your husband the same level that Jesus respects you? Now, some wives will say this. They'll say, I'll respect my husband as soon as he behaves respectably. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. He doesn't say, wife, wife must respect her husband if he's respectable. It can't be conditional. If you want a better husband, it starts by respecting the one you have. Are you treating him the way Jesus treats you? Those of you who are not married, let me just ask you in your relationships with the people around you, whether it's a significant other, whether it's family members, whether it's coworkers, are you treating them with the same love and respect that Jesus treats you? And, and maybe you say, yeah, pretty much. But there's this one person. There you go. There you go. There's that person God's put in your life to say, here, try it out. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to love them the way I love you. You demonstrate that kind of love for them, and it will whittle away your selfishness, and it will demonstrate my love. Here's the second question. When people, this is first of all, to those of you who are married, when people look at your marriage, do they see something they want? Worded more generally, when people look at your relationships, this would include young people, people of all ages, single married, do they see something they want when they look at your relationships? Now, that's not meant to induce guilt because I know some of you are in a marriage that it's not what you want, let alone what other people would want. Some of you are in relationships and you know it's toxic, you know it's unhealthy, you'd, you'd love to change it, but it takes two to change it and make it healthy. I, I get it. But it's meant to be a moment of reflection here. Is, is my marriage, as far as I'm responsible, are my relationships, as far as I'm responsible, operating in a way that people would look at them and say, oh, I'd like that. You know, and I, and I know some of your stories, and I know some of you, and some of you, your, your relationships and your marriage, I aspire to. When I grow up, I want to be like you. My, my greatest heroes when it comes to relationship are my own parents. Like for over 50 years, they've been inseparable teammates. And I got an inside seat to the action. You know, I've, I've watched them go through enormous challenges. I've watched them raise <laughs> 16 kids. I, I've watched all that they've faced, and you still can't find daylight between the two of them. And even when they disagree, they know how to laugh about it. When my siblings were older and I was at home, they would bring their friends in and their friends didn't want to leave our house. And it's because they experienced something in our house that they didn't experience in their own house. It was fun. It was not tense. And that's something Annie and I say, we aspire to that with our home. We want our home to be a place where our kids' friends don't want to leave. Now someday we want our kids to leave but we want them to come back and enjoy coming back. 
And so there's things that we say we can't have in our home if our home's going to be that kind of place. There can't be constant tension and fighting and arguing because that's the kind of environment people want to run away from, not towards. And so if our home is going to be that place that our kids' friends love to come, then we've got to be that couple and we've got to be that family that says we're going to love like Jesus loves. Not because it's easy, but because it's right. Not because it's natural, but because this is the way Jesus loves me. Now, you say, how is this talking about eternity? How is this talking about eternity? Marriage on earth is a shadow of something better. When, when you look at a shadow, you know, I'm looking right now at my shadow, and there's not much to it. It's something that kids sometimes, you know, you can outline with chalk and have fun with it. There's a shape, right? There, there's just not features. My shadow doesn't really describe a lot about me other than my basic shape, that sort of thing. But you, you can't tell my eye color, my hair color, my features my smile. It doesn't show up in a shadow. And marriage is the same way. Your, your marriage is a shadow of something much more beautiful. Can I read for you what that more beautiful thing is? Thanks, because I'm going <laughs> to. Revelation 19. Let me just read for you a little description of what marriage is a shadow of. This is a prophecy about the future. This is someday. Someday. Let us be glad and rejoice. This is at the end of our Bibles. It's kind of the last thing before eternity begins. And let us give honor to him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. You ever heard of the wedding feast of the Lamb? If you've ever been to an awesome wedding, you know that they're a lot of fun. The most awesome wedding in history is to come. And I'm telling you what, the stake at this wedding is going to be phenomenal. There'll be no distancing or masking restrictions. I mean, it's going to be this amazing place, this future wedding. It says, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words that come from God. This wedding, you just get a little tease of it there. This future wedding, do you know whose wedding it is? It's ours. It's the church. And the church that day gets to join together with the ultimate groom. He's perfect. He's respectable. He's unconditionally loving. He's the one all of us have always desired. And human marriage between a husband and a wife is a shadow of a future amazing marriage between the church and Jesus. And if you ever feel a little bit discontent in your marriage, know that that yearning is one day going to be fulfilled because there's something better coming. 
And if you ever feel a little disillusioned about your marriage or your past, know that there is a better one coming. And if you are in the church of Jesus Christ, which means you believe in Jesus, you follow Jesus, my friends, what awaits you is a wedding feast that initiates eternity and a forever marriage to Jesus Christ, the perfect spouse. There is a better marriage coming. Until then, we have a mission to be more like Jesus. What is Jesus doing? He's preparing us for the wedding day. That spotless white that we're supposed to wear is us learning how to be more like him. And he has washed us clean from our sins. He has taken our past and buried it. He has given us a fresh start. And now he says, love your spouse well. Love the people around you well. Respect them as I respect you. There is a better way to do marriage. It is not politically correct, but my friends, it's correct. And God knows how to design things that work really good. So together this month, let's learn more about his design. Let's encourage those in our midst who are married. Let's encourage those in our midst who are not married and let's learn how to become more like Jesus because one day we get to go to his wedding feast and we're not a guest of honor. We're the bride of Christ, the church, and it will be an awesome day. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father God, I want to thank you that the best is truly yet to come. God, thank you for showing me how to love and respect my wife. Thank you for showing us a better way to do marriage. God, forgive us for maybe tearing down our spouse. Forgive us for mistreating our spouse. Forgive us for the way that we've gotten this all wrong. Teach us this month how to do it differently, how to do it your way. Thank you for showing us how. Thank you for being so patient with us. God, thanks for respecting us when we are so often not respectable. You are an incredible God. Lord, help us on this journey to learn how to be more like you. We pray this in the awesome name of Jesus. And God's people said, amen, amen.